For those of you who are visiting with us today, we are so glad that you are here. And this is something that's very important to us. We believe in, in the power of the Word of God. We recognize that it is so necessary for godly living, for knowing the Lord, for growing in our knowledge of Him, for serving and pleasing the Lord. And uh, we, we put a lot of emphasis in that. So it's our heart to, to just teach through the Bible. So that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings. I'm teaching through the New Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter. On Wednesday night, we're going through the Old Testament, the same. Uh, we are in Genesis. It's been a super blessed study so far. Um, you guys know we're, we're off and running, so uh, really appreciate those of you who come out regularly. For any of you who are still thinking about it, come on out, join us. It is a blessed, blessed time. Well, having said that, we have made our way to Acts chapter 10, and something very significant is going to take place in this chapter for God's church. And I want to start by reading a scripture to you. I'm going to read from John chapter 10, verse 14 through 16, and Jesus speaking of himself as the Good Shepherd. And that is so fitting, given what, uh, given what Pastor Bill shared with us during communion. So, John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is speaking to the fact that God's heart and God's desire is to save. And at this point in time, God had come and He had reached out to the Jewish people. Those were His chosen people. And Jesus' ministry happened right there in Israel, predominantly in northern Israel, Galilee at that time. He would travel from Galilee down to Judea, uh, so on and so forth. But initially, God came to His people, the Jews. But God had much, much bigger plans than that. It was God's desire that his salvation, his gospel message would go all around the world. All around the world. And Jesus made that very clear that the Good Shepherd came to save, but not only them, not only the people he was speaking to at that time, but he had other sheep that were not of that flock that he must bring in. And so that is God's heart. Now, at this time in the Scriptures, this time in the book of Acts, we're about ten years in. As I had mentioned before, the book is about thirty years in length. And we're about 10 years in, and the church is still very much Jewish, by and large. Now, the gospel had made its way up to Samaria. You'll remember when persecution struck, the, the church spread out. And Philip, the evangelist, went up and started to minister to the Samaritans. And then he uh, went and he ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, and that uh, guy came to Christ. But by and large, the gospel had not really gone out at this point. The church was still very much Jewish. But that is going to change today at this point in the Scriptures. See, that's why I titled this message, The Transcendent God. That is a word that you hear me use pretty frequently when I'm talking about God. I love that word. And I put a definition there at the top of your notes. And that is, to be or go beyond the range or limits of something abstract, typically a conceptual field or division. God transcends borders and boundaries, particularly borders and boundaries that we may set. 
We like to put God in a box and think God is going to function in a certain way or He doesn't cross that line. God crosses lines. Amen? And uh, we're going to see what I'm talking about as we go into this. But just a little line that I, I came up to add to that, and that is, our God is a God who saves. He is not bound by time, space, gender, or race. Amen? Our God is a God who saves. And, and we see that very thing happen particularly in John chapter 4. The woman at the well. Now, it was unusual for Jesus to go into Samaria the way that He did at that point. But you'll notice in that verse 3, if you read that text, that it said He had to go to Samaria. Now, at that point in time, generally the way they would do it, Samaria was right in the center of Israel. So you had the southernmost part, Judea, and the northernmost part was Galilee. And so they would not travel straight through Samaria because there was, um, there was such a a hatred that many of the Jews had for the, the Samaritan people. So they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go across the Jordan River all the way up and bypass Samaria and then come back into uh, Galilee. That was, they, they wouldn't even go through there. But Jesus said He had to go there. And so when Jesus gets there, you know the story. He goes up to the woman at the well and He asks for a drink of water. And she says, what are you doing, a Jewish man speaking to me, a, a Samaritan? She already understood, and he just bypasses that altogether. says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask for uh, living water, and he would give it to you. And then when the, the disciples came back at the, towards the end of the story there, they were amazed that he was speaking to a woman. As odd as that is to us, they were shocked that Jesus was actually having a conversation with a lady. And so you just see all of this prejudice. You see all of these lines of division here, and Jesus crosses them all. And today we are going to see in Acts chapter 10 the gospel go to the Gentiles. Now that is anyone who is not a Jew. You have the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and then you have the Gentiles. Those are non-Jews. Most of us in here, we would all be considered Gentiles. At this point, as I said, the gospel had not really crossed over into Gentile territory. But that was God's plan. That was God's heart. It was God's heart and plan from eternity past that He would save peoples from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And He's worthy to be praised by all of them. So with that, we're going to pick up in verse 1, Acts chapter 10. Let me just pray real quick. Father, we thank You for Your Scriptures. We thank You for the truth therein. We thank You that Your Word has power. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we trust that Your Spirit will move through Your Word today and will encourage our hearts. That we will be convicted, God, when we need to be convicted. That we will be challenged, encouraged, refreshed. I pray that You would bring Your Word to life today and that we would learn of You, God, that we would fall more deeply in love with You. And above all, that You would be honored, God, as we have come here to humble ourselves before Your Word. So be honored, God. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, 
Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. I'm going to spend a good bit of time right here on this one portion, and as we move on, we'll pick up the pace. So we're, we're told here now in the story that we're dealing with a man named Cornelius in Caesarea. You'll notice in your notes there, I put Caesarea was a predominantly Roman city on the shores of the Mediterranean in Judea. It was the headquarters of the Roman governor and uh, the province of Judea. Archaeologists have discovered a stone from a building in Caesarea inscribed with the name Pontius Pilate. That's pretty cool. And so this is where Pontius would have been stationed throughout the year, and then during the time of the feast, the governors would go there just to try to make sure that they maintained civility. There were no uprisings, anything of the sort. So there's Caesarea right there. Last week, Peter was in Joppa. You'll recall that's where we pick up today. As I mentioned, there's Judea, there's Samaria. So they would have traveled across here all the way up to come into Galilee instead of just going through Samaria. But Caesarea is where Cornelius is at currently. And we're going to pick up with Peter in a minute. He's down here in Joppa. That's where we ended up last week. So I like to show you these things on the map. I think it helps us understand where it's happening. So we're told that there is a centurion here. His name is Cornelius. He was of the Italian regiment. Kind of an important guy. A centurion was someone who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And so um, I think there would be 600 soldiers in a cohort, uh, a cohort, and there would be six centurions in a cohort. All right. And so ultimately a, uh, a legion would be 6,000 soldiers and 60 centurions. So this is what we're, who we're looking at here right now. Cornelius was a centurion. But we're told he's a devout man that feared God. He was a devout man. Now, in the Jewish religion, Gentiles were able to enter in. They could become a part of the religion. They were called proselytes. And if you were to become a completely converted proselyte, you were known as a proselyte of righteousness. You went through all of the different uh, rituals and rites to be initiated in, but you still didn't have all of the privileges of an ethnic Jew, but you had a lot of them. And then you had what was known as a proselyte at the gate. And these were men who were no longer polytheistic. They didn't worship uh, a multitude of gods. They believed in one God, namely the God of Israel. And they would pray. They would give alms that is financial gifts. They would do the best that they could to worship. But they didn't go through all the rites. They weren't uh, really brought into, initi initiated into the faith. So we, we think that this guy would be a proselyte at the gate. But we're told that he was a devout man and that he prayed, he gave alms, and uh, that, that's who he is. And we're told that at the ninth hour, he received a vision, a very clear vision. And so this would have been about 3 p.m. in the day. It was one of the three times of prayer at that point in time in the, the Jewish nation. And when the angel came, he said that, you know, your prayers have risen up as a memorial to God as a remembrance. And so basically that is to say that God recognized, God honored Cornelius' prayers, his gifts, his worship. God recognized that. God honored it. And God revealed himself to Cornelius 
And I, I really wanted to take a moment to camp out on this one thing as we work our way through this. Now, last week in chapter 9, I talked about how God will intervene in the affairs of men. Praise God for that. There are times when we are not seeking God at all. In fact, we are living lives that are absolutely against God. And God at times in His grace and mercy will reach down and stop us dead in our tracks. And we saw Him do that with Saul, right? You remember that last week? And I thought back to how God had done something so similar in my own life. And I can remember looking back over the years when God intervened. You know, um, most of you in here know I had a, a history of, of drugs and crime, so on and so forth. And I remember one time I was on my way to my uh, dealer's house and my car broke down. And so I decided just to walk. So I walked on to, to the guy's house and someone actually pulled over to pick me up and give me a ride. It was a stranger and on the way they invited me to church. And, you know, that is not a coincidence. And I didn't think much of it at the time, but looking back, I can see how God was moving to draw me to Himself. It wasn't too long after that. I was working at Jack in the Box at that time and working night shift. And uh, I was sitting out on the curb the next day. I mean, I was in bad shape. You know, I'd been up for a couple of days and I just kind of slumped over, head hanging down. And I looked up and there was a church van right in front of me. And they kind of rolled down the window and said, Hey, do you want to go to church with us today? And I said no kindly, but I just think, man, the Lord was really intervening. He was trying to get my attention and, and draw me to Himself. And He did, ultimately. I, I thank God for that. So God does do that. But at the same time, when we seek God, when we pursue God, we can have confidence that God will reveal Himself to us. And that's what's happening here. Cornelius was a, a righteous man in many ways. He desired to know God. He prayed. He gave gifts to, to the, the Jewish nation there. And um, he was recognized by the people as a good man, a God-fearing man, a devout man. But the reality was he was not a saved man. He didn't know God because he didn't know his son, Christ. And the Bible says that if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. But he was seeking. Cornelius was seeking God. And God revealed Himself to Cornelius. Isn't that wonderful? And the Scriptures talk about that. And I have it in your notes here. Jeremiah 29.13 It says, And you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all of your heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9 It says, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. And then the New Testament, Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And so this is so glorious. There is a God. There is the One who has existed from all of eternity past and will forevermore. He has created heaven and earth. He has created people. Here we are today. And He is a God who is involved in the affairs of men and women he is a God who will reveal Himself to us. Sometimes when we're not seeking Him, God in His faithfulness will draw us to Him. And sometimes uh, we have people who, who are seeking Him and just the same, God will reveal Himself to us. And I, I love that verse, particularly Jeremiah 29.13. It says, If you seek Me, you will find Me. If you search for Me with all of your heart. So I want to encourage folks in here today. 
Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're kind of wondering if there is a God. Maybe there's something in you that, that desires to know. I would encourage you, seek Him. Pray. Say, God, if you're real, and we all in here know that He is, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. The Bible is very clear. If you seek God with all of your heart, if you really want to know Him, if you really want to find Him, He will reveal Himself to you. And even as believers, it doesn't end once you come to know the Lord. We spend the rest of our life seeking God. We want to know Him in a greater way. We want to know His heart. We want to know His will and His plan for our lives because we want to walk in the fullness of it. We want to submit ourselves to that. So we spend the rest of our lives here seeking His face, seeking to know His will. And that's one of the most glorious things about the Christian life. You know, God saves us. He brings us into the, into the fold, into the flock, as Jesus said. But it doesn't stop there. We spend the rest of our lives getting to know Him, pursuing Him, much like a marriage, right? Very similar to that. Those of you in, in here who are married, you know what I'm talking about. It's not like you just stop the day that you get married trying to pursue your spouse and to learn more about them and to study them and to bless them and honor them and to go deeper in your love relationship with each other. Same with the Lord. And so if you don't know Him, seek Him. He will reveal Himself to you. If you know Him, seek Him. And He will continue to reveal Himself to you. I've heard it said we'll spend all of eternity learning and getting to know God in a greater way. Amen? So seek Him. He can and will be found by you. Such was the case for Cornelius. Now verse 5 The angel is going to give instructions to uh, Cornelius. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from whom among those who waited on him continually so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so remember as I had pointed out on the map, Peter is still in Joppa at this point. That's where we left off last week. He's staying at a, a, a tanner's house, Simon the Tanner. And he's making, very, making it very clear here to distinguish between the two. It would be terrible if he went to the house and got the wrong guy. He says, now just go and, and you know, he will tell you what you must do. I think it's fascinating. One, he says, just go, just go get this guy and he'll tell you what you must do. He doesn't give him a lot to go on here. He just kind of gives him the next step. I was talking about that on Wednesday night. That is so often the case with us in, in Christianity. You know, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet. He gives us just enough light to take a step or two, but He doesn't so often give us the whole plan ahead of time. And it is a faith walk. We walk by faith not by sight. And so he had to just simply take this instruction and go with it. Much like Abraham, you know, Abram. He told him just to get out of this land, just go. He didn't tell him where or how or what. He said, just go. And yet the angel is not the one to, to uh, share the message either. He uses Peter. Again, I talked about this recently on a Sunday morning with Ananias. Uh, God didn't have to use Ananias, but He did. God chooses to use people, people like you and me. He could just do it Himself. He could just reveal things. He could use angels. But God graciously uses people. 
And again, we see that same thing happening here very consistently. We're told a devout soldier uh, was sent to go find Peter and bring him back. Uh, again, that, that same language, this guy probably is very similar to Cornelius in many ways. Well, verse 9. Now we're going to see Peter. Verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. About the sixth hour, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw a heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Alright, so Cornelius has this vision. The very next day at the sixth hour, this is 12 o'clock, 12 in the afternoon, lunchtime, Peter is very hungry as we are told. He's up on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house and we're told that he falls into this trance and he has this wildly vivid vision. And so this blanket comes down and it has all these animals in it and they're unclean animals. According to the Old Testament law, these are animals that would be forbidden by the people to, to eat. But the voice says to Peter, rise Peter, kill and eat. And his response is, no way, Lord. It's like, I've never done anything like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Why would you ask me to do that? Now, given the, uh, you know, he was a strict adherent to orthodox kosher dietary laws, he was understandably uh, confused. He didn't get it. Um, but God is trying to show him something here. It's not so much about the food, although that is part of it. Uh, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, all of those dietary laws kind of go away. And the church does not adhere to those dietary laws. And so that is certainly part of it, but God is saying something more than that. God is actually speaking of, of people here. Because at that time, the Jews saw anyone that was outside of the Jewish religion as unclean. These were people that you don't associate with, you don't go in their house, you don't eat with them. I mean, they really got it twisted. And some of them went extremely far with this line of thinking. And we know that, particularly the the Pharisees, it was said that when they walked through town, they would hold their clothes, their robes as close to them as possible so that they didn't graze up against a Gentile or some unclean person. That was the way they saw other people, people outside of their religion. That's how they, they treated them. And it got so much worse than that. But God is beginning to do a new work here. And He's showing Peter that He's saving people outside of uh, the, the ethnic um, Jewish nation and what God has cleansed do not call unclean that's a very significant phrase here and as I said this had been God's plan all along Revelation 7 9 talks about an, an innumerable amount of people who are in heaven praising God from every tribe tongue and nation and here's the the point guys God desires that none should perish God desires to save. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. It's God's heart that all would repent, that all would turn to Him. God so loved the world that He sent His Son that whoever believed would not perish but would have 
everlasting life. Now we know Jesus said that, you know, the road to life is narrow. There will be few who find it. That's very grievous. That's very unfortunate. The vast majority of people will reject this. They hate God and they don't want anything to do with Him. But God desires that men and women would be saved. God is a saving God. He is mighty to save. And He has made the way possible for that to happen by sending His Son to die for us. And I'll get into that here again in a moment, but I just want to make that clear. So God is saying to Peter, look, don't call what I have cleansed unclean. And He's beginning to prime him for the fact that God's plan of redemption is way bigger than he originally thought. Verse 17. Now while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had uh, been sent from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So now while Peter is thinking about this vision that he just had, we're told that the men are at the gate. You know, the, the precision of time and location here is amazing. The way it's just, they're just going from point A to B to C, everything's falling right into place. The timing, all of that, incredible. God is clearly moving here. And the Spirit told Peter to trust these guys. They're, these guys are at the gate. They are here for you. Go with them. Don't doubt what they are saying and what they are asking of you. So in faith, Peter responds to the Spirit and he goes Peter finds them out front. He asks them what, what, what is going on. They explained what little bit of information they knew and they asked for him to come back. So Peter knows that he had a vision. He knows they had a vision. He knows that they have been sent from God to bring him and take him back. But he still doesn't understand really what is going on here. We're told in the next chapter of uh, verse 12 that Peter takes a number of people with him. He takes six other brothers with him. So he kind of goes with a, a fairly large group of his own. So Verse 24, And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? 
All right, so Cornelius is here. He's here with his whole family, with his friends. They are waiting in anticipation. They are ready to hear the message from Peter when he comes. Peter comes in and Cornelius falls down on his face to worship Peter. And Peter wisely picks him up and says, Hey, don't do that, man. I am just a man like you. Don't worship me. And I appreciate that. That was the, the apostles were that way. They didn't want the worship of, of men. They didn't allow men to bow down to them. They, they worshipped the King. They worshipped Christ alone. They wanted people to bow down to Him, not to the apostles. That's very important. That was the example that, that they set. Now, Peter reminds Cornelius, he says, look, I'm not even supposed to be here. You know that this is not allowed. That seems so strange to us. You know, we think, of course God wants to save anyone and everyone. Of course God is not just looking to bless this one particular group of people. We're, we're used to this idea. But man, these people really hated each other. I mean, there was real prejudice going on here. And they really thought that they were, just, they were it. And God wasn't going to save anyone else. And it was just them, their, their special little group. And so it's hard for us to really feel the weight of this, the gravity of what is going on here. Just how shocked people are that God is moving outside of their nation. And Peter said, look, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. I'm not even allowed to be in here. But God has told me to come. And He has told me not to call unclean that which God has made clean. So verse 30 Cornelius is now going to explain his part. He's going to explain kind of what happened to him, his vision. So verse 30, Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all things commanded you by God. So Cornelius recaps. He kind of explains the, the vision that he had and why he sent for Peter. Then Cornelius lets Peter know that they are all here, that they are eager. They want to hear what he has to say. That's a preacher's dream right there. You know, when people are just on the edge of their seat, they have come, they are ready, they want to hear, they want to respond. And I imagine Peter is fired up, man. He is ready to get after it. And so he's going to do just that. He is going to preach Christ to these people. So verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The Word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That Word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. I'll stop right there. I think this is kind of the key of the whole thing. Peter finally gets it. He says, I see now that God shows no partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. God desires, God delights in saving all peoples everywhere. And Peter gets it. And the light goes off. And um, 
I think that's an important lesson for us, guys. So I just want to take a second to think about this. God shows no partiality. He is not a respecter of persons. His plan was to save people from everywhere. In the book of James, chapter 2, I have it in your notes there, verse 8. It says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in this one point, he is guilty of all. Those are sharp words. And so God is not partial. We better not be either. And I think that is something that that many people struggle with. Maybe everybody struggles on some level. Maybe, Maybe... People have prejudice. Uh, maybe people have prejudice over people's social, socio- socioeconomical stance. Maybe some people uh, are bitter against people who have wealth. Maybe some people look down on poor people. That was kind of the context here. James was saying, look, if, if a poor person comes into your assembly, you better not be like, okay, you, you sit in the back somewhere and then show preference to the rich man and bring him up front and give him the best seat um you know like i said i I, some people may be tempted to to despise homeless folks uh, and want to give special treatment to to the wealthy some people might despise the wealthy some people might might despise people of other races other ethnicities Um, that is something that the the human condition is tainted with prejudice and preference. And so I would ask you, check your hearts. To check my heart. You know, is there someone that God loves, that God wants to save, and yet somehow in my mind, in my heart, I think less of that person? That I, I ignore that person? That I think God doesn't really love that person or want to save that person or bless them? You have to ask yourself that question. That is very serious. God does not show partiality. It was God's desire to save all peoples. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. Jesus said it in the very beginning of this message. He said, I have people that are not of this flock that I must bring in. That is the shepherd's heart. Jesus said, you know, the good shepherd, the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one that strayed. That is God's heart. That is to be our heart. We are not to be people who show partiality or special preference to anyone. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I am no better than anyone else. I am no worse. We are all desperately in need of God's grace. We are all desperately in need of the saving work, the finished work of the cross. And Peter said, that word that you know, you knew, you know this, Cornelius, you've Doubtless, it is. I highly doubt that Cornelius had not already heard of Christ. He was stationed in Caesarea there. Obviously, he had caught word of everything that had gone down. But Peter's saying, that word which you know, this is the truth. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Yes, he was sentenced to death. He was crucified and buried, but he rose from the grave. The word that you know, he is the truth. And so now Peter is going to go off into the gospel message here. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So there you have it, guys. There is the gospel, verse by verse by verse. So verse 38, Peter talks about the active obedience of Christ. Christ lived a righteous life, a perfect life. He kept the law. He blessed people. He served people, loved people, healed people, preached the kingdom. He was very active in his obedience. Verse 39 talks about the the passive obedience of God. These are theological terms. That is what happened to him. He was betrayed. He was crucified. He suffered. He died. That was the, the passive obedience of Christ. But then he rose again from the grave, verse 40. He rose again. He was resurrected. He was victorious over death, over the grave, proving that God indeed was pleased with his sacrifice, proving that indeed he was sinless. If he had been a sinful man, he would have died in his sin, and that would have been it. But truly, he was righteous. He was innocent. And God rose him again from the dead, proving that he was victorious and that the sacrifice was accepted by God. And then... He appeared in various places. People saw the resurrected Christ. They were witnesses of this very thing, including the apostles. They ate with Jesus. They saw that He indeed was alive. And then the Great Commission. He commissioned them to go out and to preach and to teach and to baptize. That is the Great Commission that was given to the apostles and that has been handed down to all of us as the church. And Peter says all of this has been foretold by the prophets. Everything that said was going to happen it happened and we were witnesses of this and all of this the very last verse here for the remission of sins and that my brothers and sisters is why he came he came that we would be washed he came that we would be made cleansed because we were unclean we were unholy we were separated from god we were outside of his flock we were outside of the fold But God sent His Son, His one and only Son, His beloved Son, to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we truly deserved. He rose again victorious over death and sin. We put our trust in Him. We believe on the name of the Son of God for remission of sins. Our sins are washed away. They are removed. They are gone as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. Our sins are washed away. And this is the gospel message. And this is what uh, Peter preached to Cornelius. And this is what is available to all of us. So while this is happening, while this message is being preached, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So there you have it. Peter is preaching the gospel to these folks. They're there. They're, they are eager. They are ready to hear it. We know they're ready to submit to it. They know God is in this thing. And the Holy Spirit just falls upon them. God just sovereignly moved. They were seeking God. They were ready to receive. Peter is giving the message. You know their hearts are in it. The Holy Spirit comes upon these people and they begin to speak in tongues. This is much like Acts chapter 2. This is almost like uh, Acts chapter 2 for the Gentiles now. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They begin to speak in tongues. And those who were of the circumcision, the Jewish brothers that came with Peter, were shocked. They were amazed. They said, wow, God is truly moving here. God is moving amongst the Gentiles. This is incredible. We're told that they were speaking in tongues. They were magnifying God. They were praising Him. And then Peter says, is there any water here? Can we baptize these people? And again, we, we see this almost week after week after week, it seems. People are putting their faith in Christ. They're being baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit is coming upon them. Here we're told that they were speaking in tongues and they were magnifying. They were praising God in these other languages. And then Peter said, all right, this is it. It's official. They, they have believed on the Lord they, uh, they have been baptized in the Spirit. We need to water baptize these people. And, and so we, we kind of close on that note. It's official. The Holy Spirit has, has fallen upon the Gentiles. The Gentiles have come to the Lord now. God is now moving outside of the Jewish nation. And we're going to see that happen, especially as we see the Apostle Paul, Saul of, of uh, Tarsus, who becomes... The Apostle Paul is going to go out as the great missionary of the Gentiles. And so we're going to see the shift in the next chapter or two where we start to go in that direction. But Peter baptizes them. you know, And that's such a beautiful picture of what, what baptism represents. And I've mentioned this many times before. But these people have been crucified with Christ now. They have died. And they are going to be lowered beneath the, the waters of baptism representing the grave. And they're going to come up into the, the newness of life. They are now God-filled believers of Christ who have been baptized in the Spirit, baptized in water, and now they're going to go out in obedience and they're going to serve and love the Lord. Why? Because God reveals Himself to people. Because God desires to save people. Praise God for that. Our God is mighty to save. He is a saving God. So I just want to close with that. We're going to close with a quick song of worship. If you guys would come on up, our worship team. Seek the Lord. Seek His face and seek Him with confidence because God responds. God desires to respond. God desires to save you. God desires to work in your life if you are saved. Remember that we are not to show partiality. God shows no partiality. Praise God for that. He wasn't partial towards us. We shouldn't be partial towards each other. Praise God that He desires all people to be saved. And as saved people, let's worship Him. Amen? Amen.